0: Good morning, it's Sunday, March 14th, 2021. Welcome to this online resource for your at home spiritual growth during this continued time of pandemic. During this season of Lent, we're looking at all the things to which a Christian must die that is, things we set aside, things we put in the ground and move on from so that we can actually have life as God has intended it. And today we're going to see from the scriptures, that we die to work. Not that we quit our job or anything like that, but that that really the proper posture toward God is one of receiving, to see the world as given. Uh, Specifically, the greatest gift that is given is the gift of the gospel. God bless you today as you learn from him and hear from his word. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin— And in this way death came to all people, because all sinned. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more does the gift of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. Just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Dear friends, let us approach God with a true heart and confess our sins, asking him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to forgive us. Lord of life, I confess that I am by nature dead in sin, for faithless worrying and selfish pride, for sins of habit and sins of choice, for the evil I have done and the good I have failed to do. You should cast me away from your presence forever. O Lord, I am sorry for my sins. Forgive me for Jesus' sake. Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. In His great mercy, God made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in our sins. Hear the word of Christ through His called servant. I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In peace let us pray to the Lord. For the well-being of all people everywhere, that they may receive from you all they need to sustain body and life, hear our prayer, O Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the spread of your life-giving gospel throughout the world, that all who are lost in sin may be brought to faith in you, hear our prayer, O Christ. Christ, have mercy. For patience and perseverance in this life, that we may not lose the hope of heaven as we await your return, hear our prayer, O Lord. Lord, have mercy. Lord of life, live in us that we may live for you. Amen. Let us pray. Grant, O merciful Lord, to your faithful people, pardon and peace that they may be cleansed from all their sin, and serve you with a quiet mind. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. The reading is Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 to 9. God's people are saved from death simply by looking at the solution God provided. This reading is the basis for today's sermon. The Israelites traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake, and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake, and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The psalm of the day is Psalm 32. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. When I kept silent, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. You are my hiding place, you will protect me from trouble. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds those who trust in him. The Holy Gospel is John chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. God's people are saved from eternal death simply by trusting in the solution God has provided, his Son. Jesus said, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to you, O Christ. How could God do such a thing? The modern reader instinctively asks when they come across this terrible tale in Numbers chapter 21. After all, doesn't it seem just a bit over the top for God to visit venomous snakes on Israel for their grumbling about the food? I mean, would we expect the lunch lady to release a few rattlers in the school cafeteria because the kids complained about the meatloaf? Of course not. And make no mistake, this was a scary situation. The original Hebrew called these snakes fiery serpents for a good reason. Anyone affected by the venom faced fiery symptoms. First, a raging fever that made the forehead feel as if it were ablaze, followed by an insatiable thirst that felt like an all consuming conflagration inside, then finally, death. This was a dreadful punishment, no doubt, but careful attention to the literary context and content of the scripture will reveal something that, if we're thinking correctly, should actually trouble us more than our initial objection to what's going on in this text. The truth is that these fiery serpents were an entirely measured and appropriate response to the striking sin of God's people. Just consider the complaint, we detest this miserable food. That miserable food, so-called, was manna, a miraculous meal that God had been providing to sustain the entire population in a wilderness that would have otherwise snuffed them out. These complainers have enjoyed a daily, direct, and miraculous testimony of God's power to provide and his commitment to do so. That is what they detest. They are rejecting God himself and his presence among them in the clearest possible terms. They are choosing death. The attentive reader of the Bible will see what's going on here. The Israelite complaint during their detour around Edom wasn't any different from the substance of mankind's first rebellion against God. You will recall that in the Garden of Eden, the serpent tempted Adam and Eve by claiming Hey, God is holding something back from you. You could have more. Pay no attention to the manifest glory and perfection of the paradise he has made to surround you. Don't you want more? Can't you imagine God must be able to give you more? God, you see, had given Adam and Eve the food of immortality in the tree of life, but Adam and Eve, by their action, said, We detest this miserable food. So they rebelled. They rejected God. They spoke against him. They chose death. And ever since that time, the human heart has been pierced with a deep spiritual wound and a deadly venom has been in our blood. We have this unquenchable, insatiable thirst caused by our fundamental dislocation from God. We always want more. We always want more, but nothing ever satisfies. just, Just think it through. Even a perfect paradise wasn't enough for us. Which means... When the people of Israel were bitten by those fiery serpents, what was happening in their body was a parallel to what was happening in their heart. Every human being has a fearful fever and unquenchable thirst that, without a cure, leads to an empty death. Indeed, this sickness actually accelerates the more successful you are, which, by the way, means that you and I who live in the unmatched prosperity of this country are quite literally more affected by our fundamental fever than most of the planet's population. We, of all people, simply must acknowledge that there are things even worse than what's going on here in Numbers chapter 21. And if there isn't some kind of supernatural intervention, then then we simply have no hope. Without a cure, we will enter eternity with the same fiery fever and insatiable thirst, only it will never end. It will only stretch on and on and grow and grow, somehow worse and worse, forever and ever. The word we have for this is blunt. We call this hell. And as dreadful as it is, Christians are at least the wise ones who accept that, given the stakes at play, such a result for rebellion is entirely just, is measured, is proportionate. Indeed, even Israel recognized this in their own situation. When they finally came back to Moses with a confession of sin, when they acknowledged their sin, they didn't complain at all about what God has done. And and we know that because when they had a complaint, they always voiced it. But here they do not. They simply say, We get it. We have sinned. They were finally ready to give up on their own wants and wishes. They were ready for God to intervene yet again to save their lives. But what a strange intervention it was. Of all the things God could have told Moses to do, he tells Moses this Make a snake. And put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. This makes no sense. It makes no sense psychologically, does it? I mean, this is more likely to make people burst into tears than into praise and thanks, right? This doesn't make any sense theologically either. After all, the serpent is the ancient enemy in the theology of God's people, remember? But here's what God commanded. Make a snake. Put it on a pole. Look at it and live. So that's what Moses did. And that's what the people did. They looked at that awful thing, the image of the very thing that was killing them, and they lived. They lived. So what's going on here? What was God up to, really? Well, the honest truth is Moses and the Israelites probably never really understood that. Not completely. But we do. Many generations later, long after Israel had left the wilderness and entered the promised land... Long after the great kings like David and Solomon had given way to wicked kings like Ahab and Jehoram, after Isaiah had longingly and lovingly repeated God's promises of redemption, after exile, after return, after who knows how many pages of history had passed, there came a night in which a curious Pharisee spoke in secret with a remarkable rabbi named Jesus. Their conversation that night produced what is probably the most famous phrase in the entire Bible— for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But the gold in which that jewel of a verse is set came right before it. Jesus said, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Jesus was saying, "What." the serpent was i am what the serpent was i am and the bible says that on the cross jesus became the thing that was killing us in the first place he became sin christ's apostle paul wrote in second corinthians 5 god made him who had no sin to be sin for us which was quite literally true Not that Jesus became sinful on the cross. No, the eyewitnesses couldn't forget the impossible fact that Jesus had actually pleaded for mercy and forgiveness for those who were executing him. Jesus did not become sinful on the cross. He he was as perfect and holy as ever. He became sin itself in our place. Why else did he say, I thirst? He had received our poison and with it the insatiable thirst of infinite dissatisfaction. A thirst beyond thirst. Why else did he cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He had received our wound and with it the hell of eternal dislocation from God. Jesus became sin for us. He felt it. He experienced it. He became the thing that was killing us and it killed him. And then he came back. He came back to life. And in his resurrection, he became the thing that could heal us and save us. Now when we die, we die not in us, but in him, which means that on the other side of death is him and his resurrection as well. And to receive this gift, we just have to listen to Jesus who said, I am the bronze serpent. I am lifted up. Now look, just a look to me and you will live. It really is that strangely simple. Just a look, and you will live. This is good news, no doubt. Of course it is. But it's also where we often run into a problem. Because it seems this strange and simple salvation is just too much for many people to swallow, and the stunning irony is that God's solution to our rebellion is often met with more rebellion. People will either say, you know, there should be no payment for sin, or they, they'll say, well then, if so, God should let me pay for the sin. You probably heard others ask, or maybe you've wondered yourself, why didn't God just, you know, forgive our sin? Just kind of just sweep it under the rug. Why go to all this trouble of suffering and dying? Why the blood? Why the death? Couldn't he just say, look, it's all good, it's fine, no big deal, just let's, let's start over. Well, the answer is no. See, whenever someone sins, there's always a loss and an associated cost. Someone always has to pay, either the one who did the wrong or the one who suffered the wrong. Here's an example I heard someone use once. They said, let's say you are in my office and you break my desk lamp. I can ask you to pay for a new one, in which case you bear the cost. Or I can offer to pay for a new one, in which case I bear the cost. Or in another way, I can also choose not to pay for a new one, in which case I still bear a cost, it's just a different one, it's missing out on the light the lamp had once provided. The one thing that simply does not compute in any circumstance is that no one pays, that there's no cost of any kind. Someone pays. But this doesn't apply only to monetary issues either. Consider something intangible where the the problem is exactly the same. Think of your reputation, for example. If you harm someone's reputation with a lie, then one of two things has to happen. You have to take the damage to your reputation by publicly admitting that you're the liar around these parts and the person you wronged with your lying is actually in the clear or the person whose reputation you ruined can forgive you but then they have to bear the cost in their reputation because it's not repaired they pay that cost do you see now do you see now why why Jesus never opened his mouth to defend himself before pilate why he never corrected the people who hurled insults at him while he hung from the cross It's because he was paying the price. He was taking your blame so you could be forgiven. It's like the the prophet Isaiah foretold. He said, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was paying the price. So no, there, there was no way to take the problem of sin and just sweep it under the rug. You can't even do that with a broken lamp. What makes anyone think that's a solution for sin? But the other side of the coin is no good either. You can't say, fine, I accept that payment must be rendered, but why doesn't God just let me pay? I mean, this is the mindset, of course, is so common. It's the one that asks for a list of all the good things that God and the church wants me to do so that we can pull the right spiritual levers, twist the appropriate religious dials, and get this spiritual technology to put out the output we want and then to get on with things. But God rules that out too. He, he's, not, he's not running a machine here. He's forming hearts and shaping people. In fact, the Bible says if you try to do this, you actually move farther and farther from God because you're taking a gift and you're trying to turn it into a wage. You're taking something that is personal and relational and you're trying to just turn it into a system. And, and tell me, if, if you'd ever receive an anniversary gift from your spouse and then you, you whip out your wallet and insist on paying for it, here, let me, let me give you some cash, that wouldn't go well. What makes you or I think this goes any better with God? It doesn't. No, there's only one way, one truth, one life, and it is what is lifted up for you to look at and live. You'll notice God didn't say, go go climb the snake. He didn't say, walk over and touch the snake. He didn't say, sing a particular song to the snake. He simply said, look at it and you will live. See the thing that is killing you? See the thing that God is providing, and you will see it as your salvation. What the serpent was, I am, says Jesus. Even a person so paralyzed by the poison that they can only blink once for yes and twice for no can even do this. They can look, they can see, they can live. This is the solution God has provided. There's no work, there's just a gift. There's no list, there's just a look. Amen. Now the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us confess our faith with the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried, Let us pray for the whole Church of God in Christ Jesus and for all people according to their needs. O Lord God, in these Lenten days, we pray that you would draw us into your light. Expose where we, like your people of old, have thought, spoken, and acted against you, that in repentance we might look to your Son lifted up on the cross for our salvation and be saved from your righteous wrath. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. O Lord, you led the saints by the straight way of faith in your Son until they reached your heavenly city. As we join in their eternal thanksgiving for your steadfast love and wondrous works to the children of men, we pray that you would faithfully lead us to our heavenly home. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. O God, you loved the world by giving your only Son that whoever believes in him might be saved. We pray that you would bless the work of your church and those called to preach your gospel. By your Spirit create and sustain saving faith within us and all who hear your word, that we may not be condemned but saved and raised up with Christ to be seated with him in the heavenly places. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. O oh God, you have made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We pray that you, that your Spirit would be at work within us, that we may not carry out the sinful desires of our bodies and minds, but... Be your workmanship in Christ Jesus, walking in the good works you have prepared for us to do in him. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. O Lord God, you have given us our president and our governor as authorities over us for our good. Bless and sustain them with all they need to govern us wisely that we might be ruled justly and in accord with your will. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. O God, You are our light and our salvation. Hide in Your shelter all who suffer in body and mind or soul. Keep them in their day of trouble from falling into faithless fear, and uphold them with Your peace in Christ. Lord, in Your mercy, hear our prayer. O good Lord, whose steadfast love endures forever, we lift up our voices in thanksgiving that You have redeemed us out of trouble and gathered us here to feed our hungering and thirsting souls that they may not faint within us. Satisfy our longing with the good things of your Son's body and blood, that we may abide in your eternal peace now and forever. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. All these things and whatever else you know that we need, grant us, Father, for the sake of him who died and rose again and now lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. The Lord's Prayer